Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, friends. Welcome to the Tennis and Bigos podcast. And uh, it's been a really good two weeks. It's not over yet. Wimbledon is still going on. But um, the highlight of the day, today we're recording on Saturday. Uh, this episode is going to be out overnight, EST. Um, but the highlight of the day is obviously the women's tournament, which just ended. Uh, both women's doubles and the women's singles uh, finals were played today. And they were really good matches and really good tournaments in general. Um, I am going to save you from my personal intros because I'm going to leave it to Owen and um, to, to do this later on. But yeah, it's been a really good tournament. I am like, super excited to talk about it. And to be fair, I'm super excited still that there was Wimbledon this year. And I just love the fact that we were able to watch it. Um, some tennis on grass again. It's, it's really sweet to have that back. Um, but first, before uh, we get to um, some intros on the... Some actually not interest, but like summaries of the, the week and the fortnight of the tournament, of the women's tournament. How are you guys doing today, Ivan and, and Owen? We are all three again together <laughs> since how who knows how long. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, Andre, it's been it's been a, quite a while since the three of us uh, actually, you know, did one of these t- together again. So it's nice to be back at the original team. Um, I was out traveling this whole week, but I've had a blast just following and watching all the as much tennis as I possibly could. And um, yeah, I'm excited to break down the women's tournament. It's been it's been a pretty fun week. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited as well. It's great to have the full team back because I have two people who know more than me and can make me look dumb instead of one. But no, in all seriousness, uh, it's great to have everyone here. Uh, always the most fun when it's the three of us. Assuming we don't have a guest, of course. Any guest is better than either of you. So, fully agree. The Murray musings was <laughs> simply amazing. Munch, I'm really excited. I had to miss on that one, but we are definitely gonna do more in the future because Murray is definitely going to win more tournaments. He's going to win Australia next year. You heard it yep. first year. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I would let one of them like take my spot on this podcast. They're that good. So no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I would keep you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, yeah. So I guess um, I saw the women's final this morning so I can break it down. But first, uh, what were you guys' thoughts on the result? Um, Barty winning in three sets. Uh, were you surprised? What do you think it means for the future? Stuff like that. Why don't you go first, Bansh? Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I was expecting uh, Barty to win it in three sets. Uh, that was, like, my prediction uh, going into the final. And I think it's, uh, you know, I expected it to be a close context. Um, I expected Barty to go ahead and win the first set. I actually looked at their head-to-head, and I saw that uh, what, despite Barty being up 5-2 in their head-to-head, they had very, very close matches in the past, including one earlier this year where, you know, Pushkova almost won and she was two points away from winning the match and had a lead in the fifth set. And they played on clay and in, an in indoor clay court tournament in Stuttgart earlier this year. But regardless, um, I expected Barty to do a lot of damage with her slice and her variety and, uh, you know, use her forehand and move Pushkova really around the court and not give her the same look. And, um, she did that extremely well and she used her slice of offensively and set up a lot of heavy forehands and they, they did so much damage. And I expected also Barty to handle the occasion slightly better, which we saw in the beginning. Um, Pushkova was a little bit nervous coming out, but um, overall I'd say it was a pretty, it was nice to have a three set match again in the final um, at Wimbledon because we haven't had that since 2012 when Serena Williams defeated Redwanska. And so it was great to see like a competitive match where we saw um, you know, somebody um, go up a set and have chances to close it out in straights, but then they felt the pressure a little bit, and then the the other player kind of rose their game and took the second set in a tight one, and then it it made things a little bit interesting and things felt in a little bit in the balance for a while. But then 
Um, it was a nice effort by Barty to to clinch it in the end, and she played some of her best tennis early on in the third set, which is always what champions do. And you know, it was great seeing this. It was such a great story now that she's won both the French Open and Wimbledon, and it just feels like she's such a complete player overall, and just deserves to be uh, Wimbledon champion and world number one. And yeah, it was a, it was a great end to the final. Uh, yeah, what did you think, Andre? Um, before I go into it, like, um, the, can I just say that it's an understatement how, how good Radvanska was, the fact that she took that set off of Williams, I watched that match. Um, and it, it honestly, it looked like Serena was just going to steamroll. And the fact that Radvanska took that seven, five, it was ridiculous. Like she, she played an incredible match and Serena was frustrated, but like it, Yeah, obviously we're not talking about that, but just because you mentioned it, I just, just wanted to give it a uh, shout out to Radvanska. It wasn't she wasn't one, one of my favorite players. Um so since a long time, but yeah, just wanted to leave it out there. But yeah. Uh I, the final today um <clears throat> I just based on um Polishkova's record in Grand Slams, I was I didn't want to go too far and and saying like oh yeah maybe Pliskova has a big chance and like it's going to go to three sets. I thought Barty was going to win in straight sets just because I felt I I thought the Pliskova might be too nervous and just not really rise to the occasion at all. Um even though she did all the way up to the final, she played an insanely good match against Sabalenka. Um but um yeah, I was pleasantly surprised and I was sort of rooting for her as well because As I said, like her Ruenslin record wasn't isn't necessarily the, the best. Um she only has one um runner up finish, which was in the US Open in 2016. Um but uh she was world number one and a lot of people used to talk a lot about it about her performance in Grand Slams, which is apparently something that is really normal for um number one um players in the WTA. How well do you perform in the slams? But like um the fact that she made it to the final and made it competitive. It, I, I I was I was actually talking to one earlier before. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset if either of them won the. I would be really happy really if either of them won the the tournament. Um, Pliskova because it would be like her first Grand Slam. Um, Barty because she's just such a lovely person and world number one. She's been playing amazing tennis like more consistently than anybody else on tour. Probably maybe. Um, I would say. Osaka is better on hard courts, but like overall, like Barty is definitely like the better, um, more surf- surface versatile. As Vansh just mentioned, she won Roland Garros and now Wimbledon. So, um, and she had chances to go to the final in, the, in Australia as well. So, um, I think it, it might happen to her. So, so yeah, that, that was essentially my, my, uh, my, my thought on on how this this match won. And yeah, pleasantly surprised. It was it was fun. Yeah, I, I think you both make a lot of great points, Vons. When you said um, Barty started well and Pliskova started a little nervously, that ended up being a bit of an understatement because Barty won the first 14 points of the match. Mm-hmm. And for a while, um, and I never thought it was going to be a golden set, but the fact that it even got past the halfway point was pretty stark. Um, but uh, Pliskova did a really good job of sort of getting her teeth into the match after that. Barty played a loose game at um, 4-0, and that sort of slowed her momentum. Although um, Barty quickly went up a break in the second. And for me, like the big turning point in that set before Barty served for it was Pliskova had to serve at 1-3 and the game was at 30-all. And she came up with two huge serves and then immediately broke back and followed that with a hold to love. I think she won 10 points in a row at one stage. And that really shifted the balance of the match and made it feel like it was more uneven terms. And then at 5-all with Pliskova serving, she was up 40-love, and Barty just played an amazing series of points. At 40-love, she made some great digs, and Pliskova missed an easy volley at net, although I think she was surprised she even had to play it. And then um, Barty ended up breaking that game. But when she served for it, she was broken to 15, and then Pliskova played a great tiebreak. Um, I will say she benefited from net courts quite a bit. Uh, there was one that she got on the 4-2 point in the tiebreak that was an epic point, but that definitely helped her. And then in the third set, at 0-1-15-40, Pliskova had uh, a forehand volley and basically three-quarters of the court to aim at, and she put it into the net. It was one of the worst on force errors of the match. And then Barty immediately consolidated, and Pliskova could never uh, retrieve the break. I think the one place 
where she even had a chance was um, at break point in the last game. Vardy had just netted a swinging volley at 30-all. And Pliskova had a great first serve return at 30-40. I think it was a first serve return. But then um, her next backhand, which was totally neutral, um, she hit long. And then after that, Barty came up with a really clutch ace. And uh, Pliskova missed another backhand on championship point. So overall, I thought it was quite an entertaining final. I think both played pretty well for the most part. I think tactically, Pliskova could have done some things better. She seemed pretty happy to trade forehands with Barty, which I thought was a little bit strange, and it got her in trouble quite often. And early in the match, she was sending a lot of backhands up the middle, and Barty was just crushing inside and forehands into the corner. Um, And as the match went on, she started to place her backhands better. But I think in retrospect, it could have been smart if she went for the lines a little bit more with her cross-court backhands and inside-out forehands to keep the ball on Barty's backhand more often. Because even though she's got a great slice, it's so biting, it's so low, it forced a lot of errors from Pliskova, it's still less dangerous than her forehand. Um, But I was still really impressed by the grit Pliskova showed. Um, Yeah, so those are basically my thoughts. Yeah, definitely. I think something that struck me about Pliskova this tournament is, is, like you said, her grit. Like her, her ability to just dig in and just really believe in herself and, you know, find ways to make herself believe that she can, you know, come back in this in these matches and play on her terms. And that's something we saw a lot in the semifinal against Sabalenka. I mean, a lot of people, I think rightfully so, the last couple of years have really kind of written her off in majors. And really, um, you know, ever since she made that Australian Open semifinal and pushed Osaka to three sets, I believe that, you know, her slam results have been pretty subpar for her standards. And I think, you know, a run like this will just do a lot of wonders for her confidence. And it's definitely what struck me is her grit, but also her, um, I felt like her movement was excellent. Um, And and some areas this week where I uh, definitely felt like I underestimated her movement. Um, And especially like even that point that you mentioned, like that, even though it hit the net court, I felt like Pushkova had great speed and anticipation to get to that and, you know, come up with a nice lob and force an error from Barty off the next shot. And so it's points like that, that, you know, um, you know, in the past, maybe she wouldn't have dealt with those as well. And that's, uh, you know, credit to her and always trying to, you know, improve. And she went a little bit under the radar this tournament, but I think we really saw her best performance in a major and really, really sometime against Sabalenka. And so that gave us a lot of hope to believe that this final would be, inevitably pretty competitive and definitely I agree on the um, on the last game because that return that she hit was um, it, it drew some ooze from the crowd and definitely it felt like oh my god you know maybe this break will will be back and Pushkova has been serving well and so suddenly we could have a we could have a real uh, real contest towards the very end here and suddenly it can swing either way um, but yeah um, inevitably I think she didn't quite give herself enough margin on some occasions. Didn't quite do enough with neutral balls in certain positions. Like at that point, she definitely had um, had a chance there, and she kind of just hit a backhand way long, and it's and then there went her chance. But definitely something she could build on. And I'm uh, I was happy to see her see the emotions at the end afterwards in the trophy ceremony where she was clearly in tears. And so I always liked seeing that um, from from players where, you know, they don't openly show you these things sometimes, especially with Pushkova. Uh, we saw it a little bit with Shapovalov as well when he left the court against um, Djokovic in his semi. So these things are these things are good to see because it shows that they care deeply and reaching a Grand Slam final is always a big thing and you never know quite how you're going to handle the occasion that day on the lawns of center court at Wimbledon. And I think she can be happy how she got herself into the match. Um, you know, after, like you said, going down 14 points in a row in the beginning and losing 16 of the first 18 points. So it was really looking not so great for a while, you know, nine minutes in, especially she had to have had in her mind, you know, the, the double bagel that Shvante gave her in the Rome final. Yeah. She, and, she talked about that after the match, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I think it was, it was quite an entertaining uh, match to watch until the end. Yeah. You mentioned something that Chapo like was also um, <laughs> crying at, at the end of the, his match. Um, it broke my heart, by the way. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah. one thing that he said in his press conference, and I think we can apply this to, like pretty much every player. Uh, as you mentioned, like uh, Pliskova was also in tears after. Um, but he said something along the lines of, um, it, "It's just like the culmination of everything like that we've been through. Like uh, it's it's the tournament and all of the the bubbles that we've been like going to and from. Um, 
and just the entire summer of just like working hard and then you lose a match that you had a like a close call in um so it it's it's just something that like those players are actually going through some major stuff right now like uh, especially during the summer which is just backed with things like it's from however like um whatever three masters 1000s plus like a grand slam and then two weeks later they have another one it's it's like it's been pretty pretty rough on the players and it it definitely like for for Pliskova to and for any player really to put that much effort in and to like go deep into a major like it, it's just like draining more and more and more of you like to go in deeper and deeper and have to play tougher and tougher matches until like you go so close and then you lose that's probably one of the reasons also why Barty also cried because just like you can probably even believe it and she was also having to deal um with um not having her family around of course everybody is but she's very open about the fact that she doesn't like it one bit um so so yeah it's 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 definitely tough moments and we should definitely be giving more credit to players for for what they're doing and just the entertainment that they've been able to give us in such awful conditions that it is for for them right now um so so yeah yeah um and I'm glad you guys brought up the tears because I actually think um even though there was a parallel between Shapo and Pliskova um I actually saw some differences I think for Shapo um bubbles aside it was a very direct product of the fact that he had a lot of chances and couldn't really maximize them. And so I think right after it just hit him that like, you know, the match was over, like the chances are gone. Um, whereas, and I think he was just devastated. Whereas for Pliskova, I think, I definitely think she was sad, but even though um, she won a set and Chapeau didn't, I think she was sort of more straightforwardly outplayed by Vardy. And so I think her tears were more like happy, sad tears. Like, I think she was definitely disappointed that she didn't win, but I think she was also proud of what she achieved. And the crowd gave her a really nice ovation and she had played such a great tournament, such an amazing semifinal. And so I think for her, the emotions were much more nuanced where for Shapo, it just felt like he had some really raw wounds uh, walking off the court. He, um, in his Instagram post, I think he started it with like, can't begin to tell you how much that one hurt. And um, I actually think that kind of pain can be good for a player because I feel like you need to, sometimes um, you need to experience like the worst end of it before you can learn what to do to like come out on top. But yeah, I think um, I think for both of those players, um, this was definitely a successful tournament. Both of them really, really impressed me and exceeded what I thought they would. There is one thing that you were, if you come back to like a little bit more tactics and things like that, um, I was really surprised at how Pliskova was serving during this tournament um, because uh, it's obviously the grit, as as you guys were saying, but she was um she was aggressive in a way that only Pliskova can be like in a sense like she has big ground strokes from anywhere on the court she has flat powerful speedy forehands that she can hit and the match against Sabalenka was a beauty because it was it was a battle for a break of serve which is I won't say it's rare but it's like it's it's rare even in the men's tour that you have like one break of serve in each set it's 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 regular they have see like maybe two or three um, maybe two per set or something like this. Like, but it, it, a set that ends with like one break, um, it's it's a very competitive set. And Blaskova is she was mentally solid. You could see that her uh, she always displays like a very cool front. Like she, <clears throat> sorry, she doesn't necessarily seem to care sometimes. But when she lets it out, like you can see that she's focusing. She's like dead on focused on like what she needs to do next. So um, I was very impressed by that. And while, yes, of course, um, Barty has more um, variety, um, which allows her to like pick and choose like ways that she can build the point around like whatever opponent she has in front of her, which is not really the way that Pliskova plays her game. Um, and I think that she was actually scared of the slice. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why she wanted to trade with like a shot that she has more, she's more comfortable hitting against. Um instead of like having to go down low and like putting a little bit more top spin, she probably had wanted to have like a little bit more pace to work with and like balls that were um jumping a little bit higher so that she would have she would have more um joy in like taking the net out of play instead of having to actually add like extra spin to have the ball like come come down. So like I feel like playing against this lice was something that she must have been thinking before the match. I do not want to get into those um you know the trouble of like making her first errors and things like that so it must ha- it might have been one of the tactical choices that she makes like listen 
um, Barty's forehand is more aggressive. I'm going to have to have some winners go past me. But at least I want to go down like knowing that winners went past me than myself actually beating down, beating myself down with like sending balls long because I couldn't handle a slice, you know. So and it could have made like Barty a little more comfortable, just kind of like slicing, just kind of like knowing like, hey, I don't even need to work that hard because like I just need I just need to slice it back. That's one of one of the points, of course, like I see Owen is kind of like maybe maybe not but like yeah like what do you guys think about that yeah i mean i was gonna say i think if that was pliskova's game plan it was definitely flawed i feel like if you're in a wimbledon final you're gonna want to play it on your racket and so i think like getting down for low balls is tough but like that still depends on you um whereas Barty crossing a forehand winner that sails past you is not on your racket so i think even though low balls are uncomfortable like they suck hitting them as hard i think at the same time it's still better to like let yourself try to deal with those than to put the match more on your opponent's racket because Barty will beat you with that forehand. Um, and like, it's, it's definitely more nuanced than I'm probably making it sound, but I think at the same time, um, I think she definitely went to the forehand too often. Uh, what do you think? Vos? Yeah, that's definitely something I, I noticed, um, you know, during the match as it was going on is she just, just never really quite felt safe in terms of a baseline rhythm because I felt like against Sabalenka, you know, she was playing, she was able to play that first strike tennis because she oh, knew yeah. where the ball was going in terms of the it height of the bounce. Expect, right? yeah. And in terms of the height of the bounce, and also she was in such a serving rhythm in that match where, you know, most of her points were either unreturned serves or they were straight up one, two punches or straight up zero to four shot rallies. Whereas here she was having to really, you know, think about where to place her shots and how to actually it's a different kind of a footwork that Barty throws at you with the way she's able to kind of maneuver the ball around the court, not only with her slice, but also just the, the way she can beat you with that versatile forehand. She can pretty much hit it anywhere, you know, inside in, inside out, yeah. and things like that versus Sabalink versus there's a little bit more, a little bit more of a safety to her game. And, you know, if she doesn't miss, it'll be more on her terms versus with Sabalenka, it's more of um um, it's more of she'll give you some free points as well. She'll give she'll make some mistakes and she might have periods and stretches in a match, which actually ended up costing her, where she can't really find the court anymore with her um with her shots. And so um, you know, Pliskova did a nice job in that semifinal, just getting those two breaks and then protecting her serve. You don't really see that very often, you know, in the women's game, especially even on grass with today's game being that quick. Uh, I mean, with today's game, you know even slowing down a little bit on all surfaces, like to have 18 aces and 13 aces, 31 aces combined, you know, in those two, two matchups, it felt like we were almost back in, you know, 2018 with like an Isner Anderson type, you know, semifinal. Not quite that bad. (laughs) But a a much more fun and high quality match because it it really was actually a great match, um, all all things considered. But yeah, I think it just, um, it just it just kind of always felt to me like Barty would always have an edge in the crunch time in the big moments, just the way her game kind of matches up against Carolina's. But um but yeah, like I said, it was just nice for it to for the match to be extended a little bit and Barty having to, you know, work for it a little bit more in the end. Like Yeah. It's I, good to see. I, I agree with everything you said, and I like how you pointed out that she um she served much better against Sabalenka. That was mm-hmm. just treeing of the absolute highest order. She faced one yeah. break point the entire match, and that one break point cost her the first <coughs> set. She double faulted on it, but then after that, she served even better and didn't face a single one for the next two sets. And against Barty, you could argue that the difference in this match was second serve points won because uh, oh, yeah. won forty four percent. I think Barty won seventy percent. This is going off Google scores, and that's a massive difference. So. And, and um, yeah, Sabalenka might hit her forehand as hard as Barty. Um, both of them can do anything with it, but with Barty, it feels mm-hmm. much more routine. Uh, she's way more likely, uh, likely to keep it in the court. Sabalenka, like you said, Vonch can sort of lose her rhythm for a while, whereas with Barty, it feels like you can't give her time at all. Otherwise, um, she'll hit a winner. And with Sabalenka, yep. that's a danger as well, but I feel like not an equal possibility, but a simultaneous possibility is that she could sail it five feet long. So... So yeah, Barty is by far a more dangerous player from the back than Sabalenka. And I don't remember the exact stats on this, but Barty dominated the longer exchanges in this final. Um, the commentators brought it up several times. And it's no surprise because her forehand is so repeatably good. That slice is always there. Um, no easy spot to attack, really. So yeah. yeah. I guess also just in terms of you know her as a person, I think it was just really great to see her like lift that trophy at the end. Because she's also um, one of her childhood heroes was actually Ivan Golagong, who many think the Australian Open, you know, the 
center court should be named after, but we don't have to get into that right now. But it's just it's just nice to see that uh, you know back to back major champions. They're kind of playing with that honor and they value tennis history so much that, you know, Barbara Krejcikova, the French Open champion, kind of dedicated her victory and to carrying forward Yana Novotna's le- legacy. I think we talked a lot about that, actually, on the French Open Review podcast we did last time. And then here we have Barty, who's kind of um, carrying that mantle of Yvonne Golgong and all the Australian Open legends. And I just feel, feel like her humility is something that's uh, really kind of special, actually, because if you, you know, listen to her after interviews, she always talks in third person and she always talks about her team and she always says we us my team you know we've been through so much we've done all this you know it's always it's never I or me it's always we or us and I think that always just kind of struck me and it at first you know a year or two ago I was listening to it and I always uh, you know brushed it off or I always kind of thought "Hmm, this is more of maybe a defense mechanism in an odd way to kind of release the pressure of you know put on you to perform well but I actually realized that it's not a front at all it's totally 100% genuine and it seems like you know it's really embraced and it definitely shows that you know in an individual game as much as tennis you know there's so much sacrifice that goes in uh, you know on a day-to-day basis from everyone on your team that um, especially you know she's made that commitment now to traveling on the road um, you know this whole season uh, you know she sat off most of 2020 and you know because of the pandemic and because of you know, very, very valid reasons. And she's proving that she's a surface versatile player and she can play on anything and she's a threat at all four majors. And that's, you know, that's something pretty unique. I mean, this is a player who left the professional game to go and, you know, play play cricket. And she came back and obviously she had that, you know, incredible year and she's world number one. And so it's really, I think it's a great story that you don't see very often in tennis. And so it's nice to, for her to be rewarded with a Wimbledon title. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, so um, my memory just might be totally out of whack, but I'm pretty sure I remember Chris Fowler saying on ESPN that um, her number one is now safe for the rest of the year. Um, she has yeah. that many points. So that, that's amazing. And um, to think that people were saying uh, she didn't deserve to be number one earlier in the year. And since she's won Miami and Stuttgart, now Wimbledon. And, um, and she is so difficult not to like. I mean, her um, her interviews are really endearing. Her joy after was almost childlike in its purity. She was so happy. And um, I mean, all of you, I'm sure, have seen that photo circling tennis Twitter <laughs> of um, her holding up that trophy as a child. And I think like there's a reason that she looks so similar like then and now because the um, the purity of those emotions is still there. And so it was really nice to see someone so like straightforwardly happy after a win like that. That and the, the smile is the exact same to this day. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, though, though there's two two things I wanted to talk. One of them I forgot, but the other one I remember. So I'm going to start with that one. Um, the you're talking about like her um proficiency, like on the back of the court, and just how powerful her forehand is. And I couldn't really find like any comparison like with other players that that I can say for her game. But like, I feel like when Barty is on, she has like this sort of um clockwork type of thing, like in which like she enters. And the forehand is aggressive and penetrating and powerful, but it has so much margin. It feels like she cannot miss with that. Like it, it's just going on a spot that is not close to the line, but it's also perfectly placed in a way that is hard to get and is perfectly placed for a winner at a time. So I, it, it's for me some sort of like in a sense, like how Roger Fed, prime Roger Federer was and how Djokovic, prime Djokovic were, was as well. Like in a sense that, Federer just with his slice and the footwork and just kind of being able to just like toy with the ball and Djokovic just being essentially like a robot on court like unable to miss and that is just essentially how the feel that I get from Barty when she plays and to to come up a play, against a player like that it must be so jarring and in, in a way because of course if she goes off like she's human she sometimes will not feel her game in the, in the place but like if she's feeling it when she felt like uh, when she was playing against Kerber uh, Kerber played a great match, but like um, um, Barty was just un- unrealistically good, almost like uh, it- it- you could see that Kerber was struggling. She was fighting like heck to stay in that match, um, but Barty was just too 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 good. And when you when you play against a player like that, it's, it- it's really that the same questions like, what do I have to do to not have any shot come at me with interest? It's it's something so intense. Um, and yeah, absolutely. She's definitely um, deserving a uh, deserving number one. I I don't know for how long is is her number one ranking. Um, 
what do you call this uh protected until like the end of uh i don't know if she's guaranteed your end possibly not but like uh uh we'll see we'll have to see like uh, yes opens around the corner i think osaka is going to come back stronger she's definitely she will definitely want to um defend her title so which is by the way um the us open is kind of a home grand slam for osaka because she she grew up and i think in in the area so yeah and the second thing that i wanted to say i don't remember anymore so we're just gonna leave that no i mean that was a really poetic description of 40s game um before you said federer i was actually thinking federer as well so um so it was cool and i think the crazy thing is we haven't even touched on her serve yet which is such a huge weapon and it's hard to overstate how impressive this is at five feet, five inches. She's just slamming in those first serves with pace, with weight, like right at the corners. And Pliskova has eight inches on her at six foot one. And Barty outserved her today, which is just remarkable. So I think um, Barty is just a great example that you don't have to be tall to have a great serve. Um, and and it sets up her like unbelievably good ground game that Andre did such a great job of describing. So yeah, I mean, she's a really daunting opponent to face with with all of this going on. And um, and I think grass does maximize her strengths. She will be more vulnerable on hard court where her slice will set up a little more. But, I mean, everything else is so great. She's still going to be threatening for titles, I think. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the serve. Um, because, like, at five foot five, to have that kind of placement and to move the serve around the box that well to where um, almost with the same ball toss, you can't really beat her motion as a returner. I think she has such great disguise on it and that allows her to, you know, have such a nasty slice or just, you know, go down the tee with when you think she's going to go the other way. And it's just, she has, uh, you know, it, it sets up her game so, so nicely with that serve. And, um, you know, at five foot five, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a big weapon to have in the women's game, especially when you have other players, you know, in the top 10 or in the top, uh, you know, few spots of the women's game that are, you know, five foot 10, between five foot 10, and six foot one. You know, they're naturally going to have that power advantage. But for her, it's not so much about power. It's kind of about, you know, using that slice. I think actually that slice can be sometimes misinterpreted as like, okay, you know, she has to protect her weak side. And, you know, the backhand is like your shield and your forehand is like sword. But in this case, I actually think she plays it very offensively. And that's such a big, um, you know, that's such a big weapon because she, it, it's not it's not just to hide that backhand weakness like it like it might be for example for a player like Matteo Berrettini that just came to my mind you know but um she uses that just so creatively um and yeah it's just it's just one of the shots in the women's game that you know I've yet to see a player like really figure out to this day you know especially in the last whatever six months that she's been playing this year um and especially also in 2019. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what players do to disrupt her because, um, yeah, it's it makes for so many compelling matchups, like the matchup against Kerber. That was um, such a joy to watch, even though it didn't go three sets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think to solve that slice, Rafa might have to start coaching uh, someone on the WTA because it is it stays. Contact. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She'd be, cra- she'd be so crazy good. Um, I mean, yeah. more than she already is, obviously. Um, but yeah, like I think, and, and I'm glad that Kerber has come up because I think she had a really great tournament. Um, like you said, that semi was straight sets, but I think Barty hit more than double winners on four errors. I think it was like 38, 16 or 38, something. 16. Yeah. yeah. And, That's um, right. and, and despite that Kerber managed to go up, I think five, two in um, mm-hmm. in the second set and she served for it. And so it, it's a shame she couldn't extend it to three, but she really had a great tournament because before. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, Bad Homburg. She was really out of form. And then she won that tournament, beating uh, Kvitova in a great match. Uh, beat Sarah Cerebes Tormo, and I, I still think the best match of the tournament so far in the second round of this. And she's really just rode her momentum. And it's a shame that she came up against Barty in the semifinals because without a draw that tough, maybe she makes the final or even wins the whole thing. Uh, and so I think going forward, I mean, she's an all-surface player or at least a, a good player on um, grass and hard courts. So US Open, I expect her to play really well as well. And so it was, it was nice to see her back because she's got a great game as well. Uh, pace redirection off both wings, really good defense. Uh, she can hit shots from really low. And so I thought she was part of some very compelling matches uh, this fortnight. So it was nice to see. Yeah. I've, I've still yet to see, like, I was, I think I was telling you this earlier, Owen, like, we definitely have to come back to it if we see a better match than the Cerebus Tormo and Kerber match, because that still remains the match of the tournament for me in terms of, like, quality from point, point, uh, point one to the very end. It, it does, so, right? Yeah, like, um, like, right from the start, I think the one-all game they played in the first set was, like, 15 minutes, and, um, and the commentators were so excited because, um, I, I don't think they'd seen Cerebus Formo before and she was getting everything back and Kerber was hitting these down the line winners. And so they were just losing their crap after every long rally. Uh, and they're so excited. And it went like three and a half hours or three, three hours, 18 minutes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen that match, really um, try to see it if you can at least watch highlights because I don't think anything since has really come that close. Yeah. Also shout yeah. out to Carlos Suarez Navarro for taking us. Yes. I was about to say. Party uh, yeah. in the first round because that's. Yeah. Uh, I that's think that for me, it's like. One of the other reasons why like Barty is so likable is that like um, I'm not gonna say that she lost the second set because she because Suarez Navarro is retiring so like she probably felt the the nerves and whatever but like I think something came up in the sense I don't know if it was a commentator that said it or, or she said it in the press but like it it was in a sense when you play a player that you're supposed to beat and you know that is the last match in set tournament there's some there's strange things that happen in your head like you, you can kind of like start getting like too empathetic towards your opponent and this can mess up with your focus and um Suarez Navarro played a freaking amazing second set by the way she was hitting that backhand which is also beautiful like um oh and I know you don't like aesthetics in tennis you'd rather tennis be super ugly but like it's not that I don't like them I just think I'm that just if, kidding um, if, <laughs> some know, shade here yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, yeah. Sorry if I reacted quickly because um, that article. But yeah, I mean, I think aesthetics are great. I just think they shouldn't overshadow. No, um, yeah, I to- I, I totally agree. Yeah, but like, I guess it, in a sense, like for that match, aesthetics really do, do play an important role because it was her last match, and you know, um, and not and, and this this time is I'm not trying to tease you. It's just I, no, no, I'm, no, actually I, I know, stating, I'm actually <laughs> just stating my opinion. I think it's like when you see some of their backhands that she she played. And just her footwork towards it, it was, it was just really classic tennis, and she she was just hitting the ball really really well, and she obviously had no chance to win that 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 match um, for a variety of reasons. Like one, Barty is number one in the world, and she's way more informed than Navarro is at this point. Um, but yeah, it was still like a, a close contest. Like in the second set, it was nice to watch, um, and it could even like give you a little bit of a. A little bit of like a hope to see like maybe this match is actually going a little bit longer than I expected, uh, which it basically did because <laughs> it was six one six seven six one. So, um, but yeah, it, it's lots of props to to both of them, Barty for being such a class act and like just um, playing that match um, without underestimating her opponent and just really not you know disrespecting either because it could be easy if something to happen. But and also major major props for Suarez Navarro who just came back from uh, recovering from cancer. She's playing, she's playing her last season, and I, I think it was um, Steven who was actually saying she she almost lost that match to uh, her opening round to Suarez yeah, Navarro in Roland Garros. Yeah, and she was like saying it messes with your head because it's it's something that you look on the other side and you can't sometimes you just can't help your human to come out and you know just like your professional side is like no you i gotta win this match no it's, it's still a tournament i'm not retiring <laughs> so yeah yeah it, it's it's tough to 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 be in that situation but mm-hmm. yeah i i respect a lot all the players for respecting Suarez navarro and 
Suarez Navarro, obviously, for doing this unbelievable last run on tour. Yeah. Um, I guess before we, you know, maybe look ahead tomorrow to the men's final and we can preview it a little bit, but um, what were your guys' takeaways for certain players on the WTA that you think, you know, can take a lot of positives from this tournament because they were, the, they were either, you know, maybe lacking a good result or they showed you something or surprised you, but didn't, you know, go all the way. Do you have I any think, um, names in mind? Uh, Emma Raducanu, um, great run. And I think it was unfortunate how her tournament <clears throat> ended. She had to retire. Uh, advised by um, the medical staff because she was having shortness of breath and dizziness. But, I mean, great run to the fourth round. Um, such a, So young, 18. So um, when you go that deep at a major at that age, like you can only have positive takeaways. I think she'll do great things in the future. Um, I think uh, Kerber already touched on that. I, I think even though she lost in the final Fliskova, um, this was as close as she had gotten to a major for um, almost five years. So... Um, so, and for my feeling when a player makes a run in a major is um, like no reason they can't do it again. And I think that with Fleshuba, if she serves this well and hits this well from the baseline, moves this well, um, like I think there's no reason she can't be in another major final soon. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, m- my bias is creeping in here, but I think Suri Best Hormo, I didn't think her game would work this well on grass. Um, she brought in a slice that worked quite well, stayed low. Um, and she was able to lengthen rallies this much, even on uh, what's supposed to be the fastest surface. Her um, The average rally length of um, the points in the match she played with Kerber was um, over eight, which is a double UTA record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I've expressed, I really, really enjoy watching her style. So, um, so I might be exaggerating a bit there. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think um, one other name that came to my mind just now is uh, Ons Jabor. You know, what a great tournament oh, yeah. for her to beat Mogarutha. And then beat Fiontech and those last two sets in both those matches, the peak level that she demonstrated there. And also just packaging up her whole game with the drop shots and with the, you know, kind of slashing power that she has from the baseline, but she just injects so much pace. It's just scary at times. Like her forehand is just, I, I was such a revelation for me, this tournament, um, because she was able to kind of package everything together. And it just seemed like grass really suits her game. And she had won a title also coming in. And uh, yeah, those last two sets against Fiontech just, really blew me away when I went back and saw the match, like just, um, you know, and I guess she even played well against Sabalenka in the quarterfinals, just wasn't rewarded with um, a few key points here and there in both sets, but she kept it pretty, I think it was actually closer than what the score suggested. Yeah. Um, and that was six, four, Sabalenka. Six, yeah, yeah. Sabalenka was pretty clutch too in, in a few points. So yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think before when she was peaking was as good a level as anyone played this tournament. Um, so I think um, a quarterfinal run doesn't quite do her level justice, but I mean, if yeah. she can reproduce it, then uh, no one is safe from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things that surprised me so much about Jopar was her her serve. It was it was so accurate, so well disguised, and it was coming with base as well. I think she was not averaging, but she like her highest serve was was coming like regularly, like one hundred and five miles per hour which was the measurement that they use in the uh, Wimbledon at Wimbledon. I don't necessarily know how much that is in kilometers per hour, but probably somewhere close to like 180, 185. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was really impressive. Like the way she, she was serving another play that I, I think was, was good to watch just how her level was, was good throughout the tournament was uh slow and Stevens, who I just mentioned as well. She didn't go too, too far. I think she lost to Andre Bor, but um she yeah, or she lost actually to Samsonova. Samsonova, but yeah. it was still a great. Yeah. it was a great result for her because she beat Kovitova in the first round. Yeah, exactly. And she picked to win the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> my she was my pick to the final. She was my pick to the final as well. <laughs> my goodness gracious! Yeah. Tennis and bagels making a good showing for a double use. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, at least we all got that one wrong. So yeah, yeah. at least I, I actually actually I think I picked Kovitova to win it, but I did pick uh, Barty to get to the final. Ah, uh, man, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think this wasn't surprising because the WTA is more good grass court players than the ATP, but I think on the whole, it was a really, really strong and entertaining WTA tournament. And um, yeah. and as of now, besides Djokovic, Chapo, and Kyrgios Umber on the men's side, I'm sort of struggling to think of matches that have really stuck with me. Well, there have been quite a bit, on the quite a few on the women's side. Two great semis, um, a very good final. And plenty of really entertaining early round matches as well. So I think like more of this at the U.S. Open would be incredible. 
yeah, yeah. that's actually a great segue into uh the the men's final uh tomorrow um you can talk a little bit about their their um their paths toward the final like Djokovic obviously had uh say I would say like one probably one of the easiest draws he's ever had in a grand slam um and yeah and we have Berrettini who has had a quite a draw um he was packed with um, young guns as well um <laughs> and it was all in all like a very I don't want to say weak but it, it, it was a very kind of like Russian roulette to the final in that bottom yeah. half. I mean, I, I was laughing there because I don't really think either of them yeah, had a tough draw. <laughs> like, they I mean, both I, had I a mean, pretty easy draw to get um, to the final. So like, like Chapeau played very well in the semifinals, but, and, and to your credit, Vons, you and some other people picked him to get there, but I think he's not who you would expect to play in a major semifinal. And I think besides him, Djokovic didn't play a lot of really high quality opponents on grass or a lot of people who played really well on grass and Berrettini hasn't played anyone in the top 10, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I went through and I was curious to see like, you know, who else has he really played that can challenge him at this point? Yeah. Uh, Berrettini. And I looked at his, all the five matches he played at Queens and the six matches he played to get here. And I think in 11 matches, I mean, his, the average ranking of his opponents was in the high sixties. So, I mean, It just tells you. And I mean, nope, I guess, yeah. you know, it's no disrespect to Felix because Felix had a, such a great tournament and he actually pushed yeah. Berrettini quite a bit of four sets. harder than anyone else. Yeah. So, so that was his toughest match, by the way, against yeah. Felix in the quarters. And then he played Hercatch, who was the highest seed he'd, he'd faced at 18, and he deserved to be there too. But, you know, and you can, and, you know, it's no fault of their own. You can only face whoever's in front of you. Yeah. But, but it just, I think the, the sections in the middle were actually the ones that were a bit more interesting, I think, like just in terms of, compelling matches like yeah i mean both I, I, i think Hercotch was actually the 14th seed but i think that either 10 or 11 games he lost in a row in the middle of that match yeah. sort of invalidates his seeding as a when we're considering strong competition i mean no disrespect yeah. to the guy bless him he's super nice but he that was not a good performance um yeah. by the time he made a fight of it it was way too late so i mean i, I think we're all on the same page here berrettini a massive favorite to win his first major title Oh. his favorite to uh beat Djokovic or your second yeah I, I I'm, I'm thinking straight, straight sets yeah. one tie break no I, I'm kidding <laughs> um I think I, I I'm honestly reluctant to even say that he can win because when they played at Roland Garros even though it was a close-ish match Berrettini never broke serve and it's going to be even tougher for him on grass and so I feel like if you can't break serve or if I don't have confidence in you to break serve I'm not gonna even can I just can I just stop you right there and tell you that I actually believed that you actually were was believing that Berrettini was, Oh no, was, I need to telegraph my jokes better. This is horrible. Man, it was it was such your a poker face, so in your poker it was a poker face. face. I, yeah. His poker face was incredible. Listeners, I, I mean, like, I, if you were I'm, here, I'm you would have believed it. Yeah, a lot of people don't know when I'm joking unless like they, they know me pretty well. So I'm I'm really, really disappointed in you guys. To that, be that's that's kind of a good story. <laughs> there, but poker face is back. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like four sets is most likely. Um, I think Berrettini could take a tie break or take advantage of a bad Djokovic service game. And um, and I guess I don't really expect Djokovic to be in God mode. I feel like he hasn't necessarily been pushed quite enough for that. Although I think it's equally possible that um, after returning Chapeau's like 135 mile an hour bombs for like three hours, he's going to be totally ready for Berrettini's serve. He's just going to be zoned in like he was in the Australian Open final. So I think it could be straights as well mm-hmm. for Djokovic, I should clarify. Yeah, um, I have Djokovic winning 6-3, That's just off the top of my head. I just think like, uh, I just think, you know, it's just tough for me to see a path for Berrettini. Like I, I feel like, you know, he could serve massively and he can, he can have some success with that for like a set or two. And he'll use, uh, sure, okay, he can use a slice and he'll set up the forehands and, you know, it's, you know, he's focused and he's in such great run of form and, um, you know, he's even returning a little bit better. But I feel like no- Novak was just, is just going to neutralize all those weapons. You know, I just feel like yeah. Djokovic has played this kind of opponents many, many times and he's had so much success against them, you know, whether it be like a Roundage or a Songa or somebody, he just knows how to read and anticipate those serves. And he knows once he gets it to Berrettini's back at it, once he kind of, Um, nullifies that strength of Berrettini's game. There's not that much Matteo can really do consistently from the back of the court to 
to bother Djokovic in, in, in a way. And I just think he's going to manage it so much better. He's supremely motivated at this point. Um, and, you know, he's starting to raise his level. And you saw it in the third set against Shapovalov. He was really starting to raise his level, especially offensively. And I just think he, you know, this final is definitely his to lose. Like, I just feel like, um, you know, yeah. Berrettini so- is going to need some help <clears throat> if he wants to, you know, make this. Uh, I know, I agree with you in a sense. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as saying like Berrettini has absolutely no chance of like causing any damage, yeah. because the variables that I'm looking at here is like one, um, it's Berrettini's first final, so this could play a role in him not playing as well as he did like in his mm-hmm. previous matches. Um, especially against. Uh, it's also a step up in yeah. class. I think. Yeah, it's... and there's also the fact that like. The the other variable that I'm looking at is that Djokovic wasn't exactly like 100 convincing. Um, yeah. He didn't actually necessarily point. need to be needed to be, and he was convincing when he needed to be as well. Um, he was good in in serving saving break points and um, breaking serve. So in in the key points, he was actually able to like raise his game and and break and take advantage of errors and make opponents play. But like if if Berrettini um, has confidence and is playing well. And he comes across um, the same Djokovic that Shapo played in the first two sets. Mm. I think it could it could easily be a case for even a five setter. Honestly, like it, it could easily not easily, but happen. it could happen. I feel like if Berrettini gets gets like one of the gets a break and doesn't falter in serving out the match, not the match, but like the set. I think he could he could make it to a fourth set. And um, if Djokovic gets too passive, not wanting to make errors, I don't think. It's not that I don't think that Berrettini is not going to make errors, but I just see Berrettini has a little bit more. Um, he, he's very solid as well, especially if he can get forehands. Um, there's a stretch, but I think he reminds me a little bit of Roger Federer just because of the big forehand uh, and sliced uh, backhand, which is like, which with a backhand yeah. that is not necessarily like a, a huge weapon. But obviously, Federer is on another level of class and like has a little bit more game and like he has a little bit more, you know. Um, ways to uh, maneuver the ball, sort of like Barty, yeah. but um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that Berrettini's forehand cannot do any damage on Djokovic because it's on a grass court. I think he's he's got a lot of power. So, oh yeah, yeah. like um, d- don't get me wrong. I'm definitely not saying that Berrettini can't do damage. I just think um, like I think his chances of taking a set are actually quite good, but I think his chances of taking three sets are horrible. Like I think. I, I would probably give him a 50-50 to win a set. Like, to win the match, I would give him, like, I don't know, a 3% chance or a 6% chance. And, like, he definitely will get those aces, those service winners, those serve plus ones. But, I mean, Djokovic is going to get those first serve returns to his backhand often enough that it's going to be way harder for him than it was against anyone else. And I, I think the other thing for me is um, against Djokovic, Shapo returned quite well, uh, managed to produce 11 breakpoint chances. But I think it's important to remember that the last of those came at the start of the third set at um, at 1-0 up. And after that, Djokovic started serving from a tree, um, barely lost a point on serve from that point on. And I guess the thing with me is, like, if Djokovic does that, Berrettini has no chance. Um, like, and so I guess, whereas even if Berrettini has, like, a god mode serving day, which he kind of did at Roland Garros for at least half the match, like, Djokovic can still beat him, whereas the reverse is not true at all. So I think... Berrettini is going to have to have a great serving day, but also a great returning day. And Djokovic is going to have to have a bad serving day for this to go to a fifth. Um, and I, I just feel like it's way, way too many factors that Berrettini needs in his favor. I think a couple of things that could work in Mateo's favor. I think, uh, Andre, you mentioned the the Federer and the Barty thing about the slice and, you know, that kind of dynamic. Like if, you know, if he can actually make Djokovic kind of uncomfortable generating off those low balls and then look to just whip a forehand past him on the next point, and, you know, just run around and hit like a massive inside in forehand and then maybe try and come into the net and finish, um, you know, set up by that slice where it's a little bit, um, you know, not quite in Djokovic's strike zone where he can still hit a penetrating and deep enough shot off of, but Mateo's forehand is so big that, and it has a little bit of margin as well. I think that's the one area where I think he might have an edge over Chapo when he gets to the big points because Chapo, you almost feel like he has so many tools in his toolkit and he has almost too many options to where, you know, he can kind of beat himself. Um, in, in big moments. And he's done a lot better job of that, you know, as of late. And that's why he got to the semis. And that's why he gave himself many chances and break points. But I just think like Mateo's game is much more simple. You know, he he, he knows. And I think tactically, actually, he's maybe a, another level up in terms of building points. And so I think, you know, that could help in his favor, especially for a set or two. And I like actually like his chances too. Um, I wouldn't say he has no chance. I think he has a, 
a 50-50 chance like to win a set like Owen was saying. It's just that winning three of them, um, incredibly difficult. I would like his chances better if it was a best of three set match. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just yeah. Novak knows how to manage these occasions really well. And it's just that every single match that um, any single Grand Slam final that Djokovic has won um, since 2018 when, you know, he beat Rafa at Wimbledon and, um, you know, that's now started a series of majors for him now, you know, since since then, since basically he lost to Chekanado at the French. You know, all those matches have been either three set finals or they've been five set finals. They've ne- never seen a four set final in there. So it could, you know, I feel like this is this could be one of those matches where it goes three or five as well. Like it's, it'll be interesting to see which one mm-hmm. it is. I lean more towards three. But yeah, that, I mean, that, that's a good observation. And I think Berrettini can have a lot of success at the net. I think he's better hands than Chaffa, although the last time I praised his touch, he, um, in his French Open match against Djokovic, he made an absolute mess of dealing with drop shots for pretty mm. much the entire time. And that's going to be another yeah. where, he'll, where he'll have to be good. But I think, I mean, that forehand can get him there and he has better touch than Chapo. So, but I mean, I guess for me, the challenge of beating Djokovic in best of five is just so multi-layered because he has like a billion safety nets before yeah. he loses. It's like the first is that you have to hold your first service game. Otherwise you're going to be down three zero in about five seconds. And it's like, if you do that, that's a victory, but like it only gets you to one all. And then after that, can you serve to stay in a set? Like if you can great, like you're clutch, but that only gets you to five all and it gets you closer to a tie break where Joker, which is going to be clutch. And then of course he's physically fit. He can come back from a set down or two sets down like he did at the French open. Um, he could go and into wall mode and then just don't miss. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, Although Djokovic hasn't had the, the best record in tiebreakers this year. So that's that, a good point. That, that is yeah. true. But um, he's nine and eight in tiebreaks this year, and he's yeah. he's but won I, two I, I he clutched out final. two of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean at Roland Garros he was bad in them as well. Like he lost two yeah. to Musetti and one to Berrettini. Then against Rafa played a basically perfect tiebreak. Yeah, no, that um, was uh... <laughs> So yeah, I mean that was willpower. It's just so difficult. Yeah, because like he can hit twenty five aces like he did against Draper, or he can go into wall mode and and like to make it close you need him to be um off his game. So yeah. Hmm. And so I'm, like, what's your, what's your guys' prediction? Like, how do you, how do you think the score line will go? Well, this, the one last thing that I'm going to say about Berrettini is like, mm-hmm. the one thing that he has to keep in mind is that balls are going to keep coming back. And number one, he cannot allow himself to get loved too often because sometimes you just hit a shot and Djokovic is going to come up with like a very nice touch. is like going to toss the ball, like very gently cross court over your head. And that's it. It's the, the point is over for you pretty much. Oh, and he's he's going to have to not miss easy shots because sometimes yeah. balls are going to come back in shots that would be a winner against 99% of the people. And even if Djokovic makes it, it could be like a floating slice backhand for an easy volley that you have to play cross court or like a like a forehand cross court that he can do to like win a set point or something. But um, he's going to have to not miss those shots. He just has to keep in, keep keep his mind in in the fact that like this shot is coming back. This is literally what he has to put in his mindset. It's like, I cannot believe that I'm just going to hit a winner past Djokovic that easily. And that shot is going to come back to me. So the point is not over until it's over. This is literally one of the things that he has to um, make, keep, like, put in his head because otherwise they're going to be costly and force errors um, at key points in the match that are just going like, to throw himself off of his game. And that's when you lose a, ser- a service game against Djokovic at times. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, twice in the Shafo match, uh, Djokovic played like insane defensive points and ended up winning them. And it didn't just win him the point. They can be psychologically damaging. And two of them led to like l- little mini collapses from Shafo that ended up costing him breaks of surf. But yeah, I think um, so Berrettini can't let that happen. Like you said, Andre, he has to be ready to just keep blasting away. I think another thing is to win this match, he's going to have to play for like three and a half hours plus for sure, probably over four. So he needs to be ready to hurt. He needs to be prepared when like his legs start to burn um, and he needs to be ready for more of it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, Mateo, I know you're listening to this, like going to be no problem. Just do all the things we said, hope Djokovic has a bad day and then maybe you can win. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You have to believe in yourself. Uh, what's the oh, saying that they have in, uh, in the, in the Haraf Nadal Academy? Just believe that you can win always something like that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, speaking of Rafa, every Federer and Nadal fan is probably going to be angry at Berrettini if he loses, uh, unfairly, obviously. But that's because uh, Djokovic is going for his 20th major title. Um, so do we want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, it's an incredible achievement because it hasn't been done since labor in 1969, where a player has won the first three majors of the calendar year. And so uh, I mean, if he wins this on the ATP side, yeah, just to be clear. And I think so, um, yeah, this would put him in, like, he'd be three-fourths of the way to the calendar year 
slam and then obviously three-fifths of the way there for a golden slam if we're factoring in the olympic games as well so a lot on the line tomorrow and you just wonder if if any of that gets to novak you know mentally if you know because he's human at the end of the day too there's no way he doesn't think or know about that it definitely crosses his mind it definitely but i think he's a player who doesn't shy away from saying that you know he's aware of most of the records and he's aware of what he's on the verge of accomplishing and he actually uses that as motivation and for him and you know even if the crowd is not fully you know it's going to be 100 supporting him or you know uh or they're going to be rooting for a great match or they're going to be rooting for the underdog um you know definitely there's not an occasion that Djokovic can handle now that he's been in 30 major finals this will be his 30th major final I believe and that's yeah. second most of all time behind Federer 31 so yeah it's a massive gulf of experience again and Yet again, he has to deal with one of these up-and-coming next-gen players who he's now um, have to has who's now faced a bunch, and these are the these are his main contenders. Yeah, I mean the, these Funny, next gens yeah. are relentless. Fun fact about it is that like if Djokovic ends up beating Berrettini, he will have been um, the favorite next-gen on hard courts, favorite next-gen on on, uh, on clay, and favorite next-gen on grass courts, all in the same year in Medvedev, Tsitsipas, yeah. and Berrettini. So you can expect him to beat Medvedev again in the U.S. Open. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and he's already gotten team on hard courts. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to complete the set, which, I mean, is as big as, if not bigger, accomplishment than 20 major titles, I would say. Yeah. Uh, that, that's another, <laughs> that's another <laughs> poker face. Yeah, exactly. I tell you, Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga should be listening to this podcast right now because... Um, she's really good. Every time I'm like, say what again? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Am I, I am I missing something? <laughs> I, I I should just like hold up a sign that says joke yeah, or something. I, I'll, like, I'll work on the delivery. It should um, just, like wor- <laughs> hold on, hold on a, a a plaque that says like laugh, like you know, like in the sitcoms and things like that. Yeah, it, it'll be ready for the next episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think um something you mentioned, Vonch, about Djokovic being conscious of the record. This, I think, is actually going to be the biggest thing standing in his way, because I think in the 2019 Wimbledon final, I think he was very conscious of the fact that if he lost, Federer was going to be on 21, and he was going to be six back from that. And so I think here it could be something similar, because even though, I think by all rights, he's the GOAT already, I think he's still... I think he still cares about 20. He's going to know that 20 is on the line. So if that gets in his head, who knows? Maybe he's a overall pretty flat performance like he did in that match. And, um, and it won't prevent him from winning. I mean, it didn't in 2019, but it could be something that Berrettini could help use to get him into the match. Yeah. So yeah, predictions. I, 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 I don't want to say anything about this just because I feel like we talked a lot about it and I literally just have no comments on this. I have no idea what to think of it. Like it just blows my mind so much, like what Djokovic has done and like the records that he's breaking. Like I'm, yeah. So yeah, that's it. Like I feel like it's a privilege that we get to watch um, him, Federer, and uh, and Nadal playing in this era. So yeah, that's essentially yeah. like my my last comment on on that one. Just because I I just really don't know what to say. You guys already said it all. So yeah. So how about some predictions? As Vonch asked for, like I guess like ten minutes ago. Vonch, you want to go first? Or you okay, wanna, yeah, I'll I'll, okay, I'll give mine. I think this is going to be a close three set match. I actually think. Um, Berrettini will definitely have his chances, um, especially in the second, first or second set. Depending on the reason why I hesitate on the first set is just you know it's his first major final. How is he going to be feeling? You know, nerves. Um, Djokovic might just capitalize early and just quickly go up three love or something like that, and that wouldn't shock anybody. And so, I would say he'll have his chances in either of the second and third sets. I'm going to say it's going to be three sets. I'm going to go with Djokovic. I'm going to say something like a six three, seven six, six four. You know, maybe something like a 20, 2018 U.S. Open final against Del Potro. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now. But yeah, I'll, okay, I'll yeah. stick with the prediction uh, like that. I'll start by saying I don't think I've ever beaten Vonch in the prediction game. I think he always. <laughs> I was um when we were doing our preview podcast, I was inwardly laughing that he picked Chapo to make the semis. That happened. So um, so I'm I'm gonna put a lot of thought into this one. I'm gonna say Djokovic in four sets, six three, seven five, six seven, six three. That's a good one. I'm I'm gonna go. Um, so like I'm definitely third uh, by a long long mile. Like mostly because I want to be bold, like in the in my predictions. So I normally pick like some people just because like I want to see some drama. But um, I want to say four as well. Um, even though like my heart wants five, I I definitely want to say four because like I feel like it's going to be something like um, six four. 
five actually six four four six seven six six three something like that mm. okay. depends on obviously who goes who serves first otherwise like some some of the scores are impossible to predict but yeah like, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean I, I would also love to see a five setter Djokovic for me is the most fun to watch when he's being pushed I mean that third set against Nadal at the French Open when he was barely making an unforced error for a lot of it um like that was the most fun I had watching him this year and probably possibly ever so Let's let's hope Ferrettini can come up with um, a similar kind of level that will push Djokovic to do amazing things to get his twentieth major. If it goes to five sets, who who is the closest in the prediction game? <laughs> I, I, th- I, I think me because um, <laughs> my sarcasm was the best in this episode. Yeah, I got, I'll give you that. <laughs> okay, I uh, I will take any advantage I can get at this point. So. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a good thing we're not keeping score because I would be like off the board. We should like next next season. We're definitely going to keep a score. I I mean I, I think we should vote on that. You know I mean I, I don't want to keep score. That's going to be embarrassing for me. I mean so. I'm definitely going to lose, so that's fine. <laughs> no, no 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 I'm joking. Yeah that that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. Any final thoughts? Um. On the men's tournament, maybe any match that like you find <clears throat> like was more that is would you say is more telling? Maybe what about? Well, here's where I'm going to leave it off because we are definitely going to do like a Roger Federer pod still. Um, Federer, as you all know, just came back recently from two knee injuries. He's played somewhere along like 10 matches this season and he's won like six of them. 13. Yeah, 13 matches and he's won nine, lost four. And so. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, And uh, and Federer himself was talking like, I I don't know (laughs) for how long I can keep it up. It it may be his last win, but maybe not. Like it depends on how his body's going to hold up. It was probably his last Grand Slam title. Um, Well, the one that he won like some three years ago, um, 2018 Australian Open, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but um, just going to leave it on that, that um, it was great to see Roger again. And it was a shame that it ended the way it ended. But I'm glad that we got to see it and see him back in Wimbledon. So stay tuned for the Roger Federer episode that we're going to record. Um, and yeah, I guess have a good final guys and yeah, have a great rest too. of your weekend thanks bye thanks yeah right. a lot of fun and hope everyone enjoys the final yeah check us all out yeah yeah exactly good good reminder do not turn off yet like um we have our twitter accounts owen is at tennis nation Vench is at Vench b2k i am at andre not andre rollenberg andre and we are at tennis and bagels and you can also check the scores of tomorrow's final at tnns app it's an amazing app like they also have the juniors like and it's in, in a separate um tournament bracket like mm-hmm. if you see like um and that's that's great not that i check too much of the juniors but um sometimes it's, it's good to see like who's doing well um yeah so yeah um have a good one you can find us in every platform that you can think of for podcasts uh if you don't tell us which platform do you listen to and we're gonna get into it um so yeah See you guys next time. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 